0: Welcome, everyone, to Check the Net, Impact 89 FM's college basketball podcast. I'm your host, Colin Pearson, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kylie Taylor. Kylie, how's it going today?
1: Colin, it's so early right now. <laughs> it's yeah, been a rough are, week.
0: We are definitely recording at 8 a.m. on a Friday um, because our usual recording time just wasn't working out, so um, kind of early for us. I do apologize if you hear any grogginess in the voices <laughs> this morning, um, but we're all excited to be here still. Mm-hmm. Um So today's episode is going to be a little bit different from some of the others, because rather than talking about the women's side and the men's side, we're going to talk about some of the rule changes coming to the NCAA basketball for this season. Um, Some of these are exciting, some are controversial, some could even change the way the game is played, so we're just going to jump right in and we're just going to talk through some of these rule changes, some of the players that could be affected, some of the fun things we hope happen because of them, if they're enforced, uh, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to jump right in with uniform rules, because this one, it's a fun one. Um, Let's be honest, I'm really excited for this. So the uniform rule is changing to add additional uniform options, including identifying names of the institution, allowing for more space for logos on the jersey front, allowing numbers zero, zero, all numbers zero through ninety nine. So any number can now be worn. Um, And it's permitting religious headwear to be worn without a waiver. Um, which I believe personally that should have been done a long time ago. But yeah, um for some of those other uniform rules, Kylie, what are you thinking? I I'm know thinking, personally I'm excited.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking some really cool uniforms. I always like the special uniforms that teams do. Like I think they're also like they're all like super cool. Cause you know, you got your traditional ones and like those are nice, but I think like we have the opportunity here to have some really, really cool uniform designs. And everyone always loves those. And that's a really good marketing point also because I would love a special uniform for whatever college team I'm rooting for.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me um, personally of the Air Jordan debate when mm-hmm. um, Michael Jordan's shoes came out with less than 50% white and the NBA, it was against the rules at the time to do that, and then they just realized that's a stupid rule. Um, yeah. Kind of reminds me of that where NCAA teams are now finally getting the opportunity to have a little bit more expression in their jerseys and really put some art into it, have some fun with it.
1: Yeah, and it's a really good opportunity, too, for, like, designers and artists, you know. It'd be really cool to, like, get your big break off of, like, a college, like, basketball uniform. And since college basketball, in my opinion, is one of the biggest, like, sports, like, in America, or honestly, even potentially worldwide, it's one of the biggest sports for everyone to watch, especially when it comes to March. like Especially in March. So I feel like yeah. that's a great opportunity for designers also, I think that the religious headwear they definitely shouldn't have had to have a permit. Like, I kind of understand. However, I feel like that's a big part of a person, and I feel like we shouldn't have to justify why you know we're wearing whatever we're wearing.
0: Exactly, that rule was a long time coming. It was needed. Um, the NCAA never like refused someone, yeah. of the right to wear it, but they did say, "Hey, we have to." permit it, um, and so now they just don't have to permit it, which is honestly for the better in my
1: opinion. No, I agree.
0: Um, So their rationale, it was just provide institutions with more uniform options uh, without making previous uniforms illegal, and I really like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're going to see some really fun uniforms this year.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Especially out of some of those non-Power 5, Power 6 schools. I think some of those schools are going to take this opportunity and run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hope some of those schools like UMBC, like FDU, um, and some other 15, 16 seed schools just kind of make their way into the tournament with a fun uniform and yeah. just have a good time with it. I'm, I'm
1: excited for – I don't, I always talk about them. I'm excited for Oregon specifically just because I love their like gym floor. <laughs> And I love, like, their colors. So I feel like they're, like, hopefully, fingers crossed, their uniforms will be really cool.
0: That's true. The gym floors are a good thing to kind of look at to see whose uniforms are going to be the coolest. Because we can usually tell if they have a fun floor that they're going to have some fun other stuff, too. So I wonder, like, Memphis could have some really cool Tiger Stripe uniforms or whatnot, you know. Could be be a good time. Um, Next rule I want to talk about is a little bit different. Um, it's regarding shot clock resets. So this is this rule states that it's going to establish that any time the ball hits the rim on a pass deflection or a shot and the offense retains possession in its front court, the shot clock will reset to 20. Any time it hits the rim and the offense retains in the back court, it'll reset to 30. And their rationale behind this is that it makes it easier for officials on the floor because they'll no longer need to determine if the action is the legal try for a score or a pass, um, like on an alley-oop. Um, Kylie, what do you think about this? Because I have mixed feelings.
1: I agree. I think it's it's interesting. Um, I think it does make it easier for officials. And since they already have a lot going on, I know a lot of people hate on officials. However, it's, like, it's hard to call a game. And then there's a lot of rules you have to think about. There's a lot of things going on. However, I think that with a lot of those accidental things like pass deflection, things like that, I don't think if offense retains it, I don't think they should get a reset. But you can't have specific like it's hard. It's hard to make calls. You know, it's hard to do things like that. So I feel like broadening it, it will be a definitely a big change. So we'll have to see how teams take advantage of that because there's going to be for sure ways they're going to be able to take advantage. Because, like, if you miss an alley-oop or whatever and it was clearly intended, like, clearly intended to be a shot and they just so happen to finish it, it's just like, well, or it was clearly intended and it just bounces out and then the offense gets it. It's like, okay, well, now we have 20 more seconds because that didn't work. So, I don't know. It'll just be really interesting. I think there'll be a lot of people that are upset about it, and I can see why. But I also see, you know, it is easier for officials and they have to make so many tight calls during games. So, hopefully, they'll be able to make those better calls when they're in crunch time.
0: You see, I worry about teams using this to their advantage to Mm -hmm. get more time of possession. Um, Yeah. I think we're going to see some lower scoring games this year because of this. I think we're going to see some plays where pretty much every coach, I can't see a reason why a coach wouldn't do this other than morally, Mm -hmm. um, where they would draw up a play where they just send someone tall under the basket to toss it up very quickly to hit the rim from underneath and grab it again to reset the shot clock um, because 20 extra seconds is really key, and it's a lot easier to do to hit the rim than to make it in the basket or to attempt a shot sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. And especially in those tight game scenarios, like at the end of like a really close game, and you want to maintain possession, I mean, that's an easy way to keep it.
0: Yeah, and especially in those situations where you're up by a little bit and you're trying to keep the ball away, mm-hmm. You don't. You're not restricted to 30 seconds in that shot. You're restricted to 30 seconds, and then just kind of toss the ball anywhere near the rim. Yeah. You know. So that that worries me a little bit mm-hmm. with the broadness of this rule.
1: Yeah, um, I agree.
0: But I do like that the refs have a little bit harder or less hard of a time to call that mm-hmm. penalty because I know that was always a controversial call. Yeah. Towards the end of the game as well. Um. Next one up, Kylie. You want to read through this one?
1: Yes, so coach requested reviews, um, which is kind of their new rule, is loss of timeout if the challenge is ruled against. So it requires when a coach requests out-of-bounds play to be reviewed, so for a multitude of reasons, with under two minutes left um, at the end of the game, so in the second period, um, or of any extra period, uh, your team will be charged with a timeout if the original call is not overturned. So, and I, this is interesting. Because a lot of coaches—and it's very strategic, and I think it's very smart—will challenge a call towards the end of a game if, you know, they want an extra timeout. Or a lot of them do it if they're out of timeouts. And um, even if they know, like, more than likely it's not going to go their way, it's very strategic. It's very smart. However, I think it adds even more of a challenge for coaches because it'll make them really think about what they're doing. Because if they have timeouts left, it's like, okay— Am I willing to risk a timeout just to get a little bit of extra time with my team like on the court? At that point, you might as well just take a timeout. So I think it'll definitely change the way some coaches view end of the game, which is going to be a big change for a lot of these coaches who have been coaching for a long time. Yeah, and so especially it'll be the
0: coaches who have been in it for a while, because mm-hmm. especially with those older coaches, a lot of them use that strategy yeah. of just calling out a bounds play. and. I mean, this completely changes that. Mm-hmm. um how do you feel about that? Do you feel it's going to be positively received or negatively received?
1: probably negative, I'm gonna be honest because you have a lot of old coaches here in um college basketball, and it's it's kind of a big deal. It is a big rule change, and it's definitely going to take a lot of time for adjustment, and a lot of these coaches, and I agree with them, they don't need like they shouldn't have to have this type of adjustment. however, I think. We'll get to see some very uh, like interesting tactics about, okay, now what else can we do to help delay the mm-hmm. clock and get some extra time with my team? So I'm kind of excited to see what some of these coaches pull out during this.
0: Yeah. A lot of these coaches are creative, especially some of the younger ones. Um, I think it makes room for some of them mm-hmm. in the college basketball playing field um, because some of those younger coaches who haven't been coaching as long but have great repertoires I think they're going to get a big chance here. Yeah. Um, Next one up I want to mention is also a coaching-related one. Um, This is about live and preloaded videos. And the rule is a very shortly written rule, which is interesting (laughs) to me. Um, And it's very broad. The rule says, to permit but not require the transmission of live video to the bench area for coaching purposes. So, their rationale behind this is that for the past two seasons, the Rules Committee permitted conferences to experiment with this. Um, The experimentation was met with positive feedback from coaches and other stakeholders who utilized the rule. And I think that's great. You know, I think it's great that there's positive experiences with this, but I just wonder the difference between the Power Five schools and the Power Six schools who can, you know, afford. This yeah. live video to the bench, and some of the smaller schools who can't, um, mm-hmm. and I wonder if there's creating more of a division there because the familiarity with it for coaches is just going to be so different.
1: Yeah, I feel like if we're going to offer it, then I think it should be provided to every team because especially when I always like March is the biggest time, especially when you get into March and you have these teams from smaller conferences playing against these Power Five conferences the power Five conferences are going to have a huge advantage when it comes to this. So either you, my opinion is you either allow it and give it to everyone or you don't give it to anyone.
0: My understanding of this rule is that, um, because they're permitting it, that they would provide it at the NCAA tournament. Yeah. But I think that still provides a disadvantage Mm -hmm. to the non power five who just aren't used to using it. Yeah. You know, I agree. Um, just like a little bit of a delay for a few years there where we might see less upsets because of it, where we might see, I i have no idea, really.
1: Yeah, like we, to be honest, like we'll really have to see this year what the consequences can be of having like the live video, because I think if it puts teams at a significant advantage versus other ones, and I, I just don't think it should be allowed, like a lot of these big Bigger conferences have the advantage of these bigger name players, you know, big time coaches. Whereas these smaller, conf- these smaller conferences, while you know, they still have good, really good coaching, really good players, you know, there's just not that clear advantage there. And I feel like if this is going to be more of a detriment to the smaller, you know, schools, then I don't think there's a point of having it during March at all.
0: You see, here's the other thing, though. Um, one of the conferences that was testing it was the MAAC, the Metro Atlantic.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. So
0: that's a very small conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I don't know. Yeah. Is this a cheap enough thing that they can implement it everywhere and that there are just going to be a few schools with older stadiums that can't accommodate it? Mm-hmm. You know, what what are our consequences here? Yeah. And so I think that's going to be something interesting to watch this season. Um, It could have no effect whatsoever. It could be a pretty big thing. It's worth looking at. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Kylie, you want to go over this next one?
1: Yes, because I love this one, actually. So um, it's a new rule, and it is to permit all non-student bench personnel to leave the bench area to assist in preventing a potential fight or altercation. So I'm going to be really honest. I don't think this happens as much today as it did like 20 years ago.
0: Le- yeah, the '90s were—they uh, were a time. Early 2000s had some fights, you know.
1: Yeah, and personally, I don't think it happens as much. We're going to need all these coaches rushing out. However, I do think it's a good idea because having like just like <laughs> your head coach, like I always think of Tom Izzo, love the man. But at the same time, you have all of these big like players, these tall guys going like fighting with each other. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is for two coaches and some referees to break that up? Probably very, very difficult.
0: Especially when one of those coaches is in the five-foot range like Tom Izzo. Yeah. I mean, what do you, <laughs> how are you going to fight against a seven-foot guy
1: mm-hmm. and
0: break that up? You're two feet below him. Exactly. You
1: know? So I think it's a really good idea to have all of the other... I like how they specify non students I think students would cause a bit of an issue going into a fight as well. but. Um, the non student bench personnel. I think that's really smart. If there happens to be a fight that breaks out, I think that it's a really good idea and it's and it'll just help hopefully help resolve conflict faster and it'll be safer for the for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, I think I completely agree with that. I wish they would have done that earlier because we all saw the fights of the nineties, early two thousands. Like they make for great T V but mm-hmm. they're not. <laughs> Yeah. They're not basketball. You know, that's not what we're all about. Yeah. And really to be able to break those fights up without, you know, just having a head coach mm-hmm. with more people to help break it up, I think will be very, very safe, very helpful. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think that's very controversial whatsoever. No. Um, Here's one that is though. Um, So this one is about goaltending reviews. So- The NCAA, it's a long-written rule um, that it's a long-standing rule that like a lot of calls, especially out-of-bounds calls, or uh, not out-of-bounds, sorry, but um, three-point versus two-point shots are reviewed during the next media timeout. So that's that's a big thing. Um, I think this goaltending review rule change, which states that any goaltending slash basket interference calls can also be reviewed during the next time out. And if there's a foul on the shooter, it will happen immediately. I just think that's a very interesting rule. Yeah. And I'm not sure how they're going to make it play out.
1: Yeah. I don't know. That's definitely one that we're just going to have to see in real time to be able to fully understand the scope of it. Um, For a lot of the time, I feel like anytime I see goaltending, for the most part, it's pretty obvious Now, I don't mind having the refs go back and check and make sure that everything was, like, right. But at the same time, I feel like backtracking a call is detrimental to the game. (laughs) That's kind of part of it. Because basketball is very much a game of human error, regardless. And if you take away some of the human error, then it's, like, okay. like At that point, you might as well just replace the refs with, like, AI.
0: Yeah, and backtracking that call in particular, I just don't know how you're going to do it. Right. Because when it's a two-point versus a three-point, you just look at whether they stepped on line. And mm-hmm. you take away or add a point based on yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, and that makes sense. Goaltending, this is completely changing the next few plays too mm-hmm. because it depends on who gets the ball. It depends on free throws. It changes a lot of random things. And I just don't know how they're planning on making that work.
1: This is going to be a very frustrating point, I think, for a lot of coaches. And I don't blame them because the, back, the backtracking is the biggest thing. And at that point, when the play is done and over with, like, you never know because media timeouts can happen randomly throughout a game. What if that goaltending was, like, six plays ago? Exactly. And how are you going to go all the way back and try to be like, oh, no, like, this wasn't it? That's done and over with at this point. Like, I'm all about being fair, but at the same time, like, there's so many ways things go in games where – At this point in time, this team has, like, the advantage. At this point in time, this team has the advantage. You're just kind of taking that away at that point.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't get how they plan on enforcing this in a reasonable way that doesn't affect the game itself.
1: It's going to affect the game, which is kind of, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it. But we'll see. It'll just be interesting because we'll just have to view it in real time. And I'm sure we'll probably end up talking about it again, maybe complaining depending on how it's used.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It's going to cause a game to be changed after the fact, and there's going to be some big controversy on it. Maybe not this year, maybe next year, maybe the year after, Mm -hmm. but it's going to come back up, I have a feeling. We'll talk about it again for sure. Oh, yeah. um, Because this is just such a big change to the way things are going to be played. Mm Mm-hmm. Kylie, if you want to talk about the next one a bit. Yeah,
1: so there's a new rule about flagrant ones, um, and it kind of establishes that if a player commits three flagrant one fouls in a game, the player would be, like, disqualified from the game. Um, It changed from five flagrant one violations to three. Again, I don't know if I'm seeing more than one flagrant one from a player in a game. I mean, I think two is pretty rare, to be honest. Three is even more rare. Again, I don't know. Today's game is not as aggressive as it used to be. Because I think if this was, again, 20, 30 years ago, taking it down to three, we'd probably see some players getting, you know, disqualified from the game. But now I I just don't see this being that big of an impact on the game, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And the other thing with that that I was kind of noticing is that we're changing it from five to three. I don't think there is... I can't imagine a time when a player was getting five flagrant one violations, especially when five fouls will also disqualify you from the game. Yeah. Like five regular fouls. So how do you commit five flagrants before five fouls? Even how do you commit three flagrants before five fouls? Like, Mm -hmm. I just have a hard time believing this rule will ever do anything.
1: Like, it's impressive if you can commit three flagrants. Three flagrant fouls before five normal fouls. Like I'll be impressed. Like that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty crazy in my opinion.
0: Yeah, you're you're quite aggressive at that point, and maybe yeah. additional measures have to be taken at that point. You know, exactly because <laughs> something's going on.
1: Yeah, maybe tone it back a bit. Um, but yeah, I don't think that's really gonna become an issue or be a controversial rule in the slightest.
0: Unless sometime in the future they increase the number of flagrants that are given.
1: Yeah, Um, make it tighter, yeah.
0: Again, I don't see why or how they would do that. Yeah, I feel like
1: flagrants, and a lot of times, you know, flagrants are also pretty, like, subject to one's opinion. And I know there's rules to go off of them. However, I don't know. I just think sometimes they call flagrants, and I'm just like, really? And other times it's like they didn't call one. I'm like, that needs to be a flagrant. Like, they're very kind of up to interpretation. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll see.
0: But even so, how many refs are calling three flagrants? Right. In a game, period, mm-hmm. let alone on one player. Mm-hmm. Very, very few. Yeah. Um, in addition to that flagrant rule change, we've got another one um, that's kind of regarding fouls as a result of flagrants. Um, so this is establishing that if a player is called for a foul, for a foul, sorry, not a flower, uh, for a foul, <laughs> And upon instant replay, the officials see that the foul is a direct result of a flagrant, um, one or two, committed against the player. um, The officials may remove the foul on the player who was flagrantly fouled, which sounds very confusing. But really, it's just (laughs) saying if a player is, you know, someone shoves them and that's a flagrant foul and it results in them giving a foul to another player, they're not going to get that foul. Only the flagrant's going to be given out.
1: Which I feel like if you're a referee and you're missing the flagrant first, that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. Like that is a paying attention and watching issue. I know sometimes in games, like it, it happens and there's a lot going on, but I don't know. I feel like this isn't also as controversial. Because <laughs> if someone commits a flagrant and then you accidentally foul somebody because you're being, I don't know, shoved or whatever, then, you know, I think you deserve to have that foul taken away from you. Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah, because that's not foul as a result of your actions. That's yeah. a result of. The flagrant, you know. Again,
1: that's like common sense rules, I feel like.
0: And I feel like that's a rule that was always unwritten, and Mm -hmm. now it's just written. I don't see that changing anything in the game. No, no one will
1: be upset about that, really.
0: I don't see that changing almost any calls in the game, because if we're being honest, the refs already played it by that, and now Mm -hmm. they're just...
1: I'm just wondering if they'll do more review to see if there was a potential foul before the play.
0: That's... That's a good thing to look at, too, because yeah. the rule is stating that upon instant review, mm-hmm. officials are seeing that the fouls is a result of a flagrant. Yeah. And going back to our previous rule, I wonder if that could add more flagrants to the game. Too.
1: Yeah. It probably will, which, honestly, then the three flagrants might <laughs> come in handy at that point. True. But again, I don't know. That's just interesting. Some it's... of these rules, I just... I don't it's know. definitely
0: an interesting rule to add. Yeah. Um, I just don't see the reasoning behind adding it right now. Yeah. Like I don't there either. wasn't some big play that happened that like, oh, we need this because something happened. Yeah. It's just a uh, NCAA going, eh, we probably should have had this a little while back. We looked at our rules again. Let's uh let's throw this in there.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Um this last rule though is regarding that. Um And I think it's the biggest rule change to the play of the game for the players, um, other than maybe the shot clock rule. Um, But this one is about legal guarding position. Kylie, do you want to walk through that?
1: Yeah. So um, this new rule kind of states, you know, to establish a legal guarding position on an airborne player with the ball, the defender must establish a legal guarding position before the opponent places their last foot on the floor, like to plant your foot. Or to, you know, kind of get ready for a shot or make a move prior to becoming airborne. So I personally think this is this is a good thing. And the way I look at it is you're protecting shooters. Because what I see more often than not is when they're, especially coming from, like, out far, taking three-point shots, they are challenging the shot. Defenders are challenging the shot. No problem with that. I enjoy that. I'd rather have you challenge and sit there and watch it. Um challenging the shot and they jump into the shot and then they get within the shooting space of the shooter that is scary because I've watched refs not call that and then there's a potential for that's an ankle injury that's a broken or break or sprain in your ankle that is a knee injury that could be an ACL MCL dislocation sprain there are so many things that can result from landing on another player, which in a, they're awful. It's scary. Like Those could be career-ending injuries, like season-ending injuries.
0: And it could be injuries for either player.
1: Exactly. Getting landed on is not fun either. <laughs> like, So I really think this is a good thing, and it might take away some of the power of the defender. However, in, from my perspective reading this, it's all about keeping the players safe, and I'd rather have a cleaner game in that sense to where – Defenders can't run out like all crazy after or they have to maintain a certain amount of space between them and a shooter. I think this will help enforce that more. So I'm a big fan of it just because when I played, I was a shooter and I landed on people all the time. and It was not good and refs never called it. You but see, I think they're more strict about it in college anyway.
0: They are more strict about it, but it's already a rule. I feel like it's already the charge. Yeah. It's already inside the arc. Um, this rule is kind of just telling the refs to enforce it. More, I feel Mm -hmm. like, in my personal opinion.
1: Yeah. And they do enforce it more for outside shooters. So I think, like, big men down low, you're going to see significantly more fouls coming from post play rather than, you know, just specifically on the outside.
0: So do you think this could reduce the power of some of these big men, like Zach Eady or any of the other big guys that just kind of sit under the basket waiting? Yeah.
1: No, I definitely do because. He will have to be completely planted. Like, he will not be able to jump forward. Like, jumping up, they're not going to call anything, you know, if you're straight up, whatever. But that will prevent him from consistently jumping forward. And, yeah, it takes some of his power away. Because you can shoot, like, is is it hard to shoot over Zach Eadie? Absolutely. He's so tall. He's got long arms. But there's still an opportunity there to where they're not going to be, like, rushed and be, they'll be able to have more time to shoot over him and more space. Mm-hmm. So
0: Yeah, I definitely, personal opinion, I'm worried that the refs will not be calling this. I agree. Um, because yeah. they, just, they don't do a good job of calling charges and all that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're looking for whether the ball t- hits the basket on a shot, whether all these other random things. Um, but the big one is whether the ball hits the basket if it's a shot, all that. And that rule is being kind of eliminated for the refs to be watching. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Especially with charges, too. I think that sometimes they call charges when people haven't established a good position. So maybe this will just make it harder to get charges. Yeah. It kind of depends.
0: And I know, like, the NCAA listed in their rationale for this rule that it is to reduce the number of charges and collisions that occur around the basket um, by allowing the offensive player more time to adjust to defensive movements, and I get that, but also at the same time, you're taking away some of that defensive power and that,
1: yeah, and that's gonna be then at that point, it's just gonna be harder to play defense in general, like if you can't make any contact with a player, it becomes exponentially more difficult to play defense,
0: yeah, for sure, yeah, and i I really do wonder last thing on that, but whether different conferences will be enforcing this differently because Big Ten play style is a lot of up-in-your-face defense, a Mm -hmm. lot of physical defense. And some of these other conferences, like the Big East, for example, is not at all that. Yeah. And so I think this will affect different conferences differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the preseason is going to be what we want to look at a little bit more even with this to just see how this changes um, some of the conference power.
1: Yeah, I agree with that because it's a definitely going to be an adjustment, especially for like you said, the Big Ten teams. This is going to be an adjustment, and I think for at least part of the season, maybe the first half, it'll put them at a disadvantage when playing teams out of conference.
0: No question. Um, so I just want to know what rule do you think will be the biggest game changer?
1: A um, lot of them of are all these? pretty big game changers. I'm just I'm gonna stick with the coach requested reviews. Again, I go back to it causes them to be more calculating and a lot of the older style coaches it's going to be a completely it's going to be a complete shift in everything they know about when it gets like into crunch time like at the end of games so i think that'll be interesting to see how they adjust
0: yeah for sure um personally i'm gonna go with the shot clock rule Mm -hmm. um i know i've brought that up a few times but just being able to reset the shot clock more often and on a unintentional way and um, being able to draw plays that purposefully reset the shot clock um, will be interesting. And I think the NCAA is going to have to write another rule regarding that next year.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: um, To kind of prevent some of the purposeful plays that are going to be Mm -hmm. set for resetting the shot clock. Yeah. Um, But I'm curious to see how all of that plays out.
1: For sure. I think it'll be definitely a pilot year for that. And then, yeah, they'll have to go in and kind of add additional rules or edit it. and So we'll see how that evolves in the future.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's just jump right into our final segment today, uh, Full Court Press. So what are you going 94 feet for today? Um, This is our reoccurring segment at the end. Um, Every member of the show for the day gets to hold court for a few minutes, go freestyle on any topic. We can just talk about anything basketball-related. Uh, Kylie, you want to go first. Go for it.
1: Yeah. So my kind of topic this week is that um, pregame playlists matter more than I think people think. So listening to the right kind of music as you're getting into the zone before a game is a huge thing because it needs to, is it has to put you in that mindset of I'm here to win. I'm here to play hard. I'm here to do everything I can, you know, to be successful with my team. You know, be successful for my coach. And I think. Getting hyped up before a game is the best feeling ever, and music is extremely is probably the biggest part of it, um. From my perspective, when I was in high school, um, we had a little scandal, <laughs> um, where um we ended up getting our pregame playlist privileges taken away from us. Really devastating as a high How school do athlete, that? man. Yeah, you know, some parent complaints or whatever, but we had our playlists. Privileges taken away, which was really sad. Um, I was devastated by it. And then after that, it was like, okay, like, I can't be hyping myself up on the court now. Like, I'm not listening to hype music. I'm listening to radio silence. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, you, you warm up not as well, in my opinion. You know, you're not kind of in the zone thinking about the game. Like, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. No, it's like radio silence. So I think that people don't value it. A lot, I think that getting yourself hyped up before a game using music is like the biggest part of one of the biggest parts of basketball in sports in general. It doesn't have to be just basketball. Um, I had playlists I listened to before basketball, before volleyball, like cycling through and they always got me excited and ready to play. I think that's the biggest part. Um, and I think that they should be able to players Should be able to select a good playlist like from all of them and play it before a game like in the Breslin like. You know, I think that the players should be able to pick. And I don't know if they do. I'm assuming they probably have some input on oh, what slightly. kind of music plays during their warm-up. But I think they should create it and, you know, create it to, like, something they 100% everyone can get hyped to before a game. And it hypes up the student section. Good music during a warm-up, you're hyping up everybody. So it's just good for all involved.
0: You see, my other thing there, though, is can you use a playlist to kind of um, knock down? out another team's mental state um, before a game like that could be interesting to see Mm -hmm. like what songs would you pick to really like you hear it every day before a game you get hyped up to it because you think it's funny and like another team is just annoyed
1: yes like during middle school um we would play don't stop believing before games i love that (laughs) and everyone would be so confused and we would be just like so hyped up about it. So I think stuff like that definitely messes with the other team and it's just great.
0: Yeah, you got to have a little bit of that in there too. Mm-hmm. That's that's fun. Um my full court press this week. I want to talk a little bit about the cutting the net tradition. Um and I know we're pre-season, so I know it doesn't happen pre-season. It happens mm-hmm. in the post-season mostly. Um but I feel like we need more specifics on when it can and should happen because a lot of teams, you know, they cut down their net after a big win. They cut down their net after the conference championship, the, you know, final four to get into it. They cut it after um, the national championship game, obviously. I think we need to establish kind of a set, like times you should be able to, Um, Maybe not as a rule, but more as a, like, ethically, okay, we can't be cutting down the net after every game, after every win, guys, you know. Um, Because I think some of that is starting to take into account. And I agree. Like, if you're a 16 seed beating a 1 seed, absolutely cut Cut that that net net. down. But at the same time, if you're a 8 seed beating a 9 seed, you don't need to cut down a net, guys. You, Mm -hmm. You beat a team. That's a win, you know. And I think we need – I don't think it happens yet, um, but I think a precedent should be set at some mm-hmm. point that kind of establishes that because that's one of the best traditions in basketball, mm-hmm. and I'd hate to see it get ruined.
1: Yeah, it is, it's very sacred. Um, I would say also um, you're allowed to cut it in a rivalry win. I'm huge yeah. for rivalries, so I think that's a big one. But a lot of teams like pass around trophies and stuff, so I think that's kind of cool too. Um, but no, I agree. I think if you are continuously cutting the net after every game because oh we had a win, or I oh, hope it was a big win, or oh no, it wasn't so big of a win, it was a close win. It just kinda takes away the magic of it and like the excitement. So mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Cutting the down the net should be reserved for the best of the best wins, mm-hmm. the you know, the ones that get you somewhere, in my opinion. I agree. Um, but yeah, that's my full court press for this week. It's nothing big. It's just kind of a statement. Like, <laughs> I like it, but it needs to be specific on when. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to close it up now. I know a little bit shorter episode, but um, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, So thank you guys all for listening to this week's episode. Check the net on Impact 89 FM. Let us know what you think by connecting with the station on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at WDBM and at Impact89FM. Um, This will be our first full basketball season, and we are super excited. Um, The next two or three episodes, we will jump into our conference predictions, which will lead us into the preseason tournaments. This season's madness is only just beginning, and we can't wait to talk about it more next week on Check the Net. Thanks for joining us.